Okay, guys, welcome to the first ever Ground Zero with VTT podcast. We have a very special guest joining us today for our first ever show. But first, I'd like to introduce you to the team that will be smashing it out in our time here on the show. So without delay, I'd like to introduce Josh, the professor, and Vili, the caveman. Um, And finally, this is happening after all these years about talking and putting on this show. What do you reckon, fellas? Yeah, man. About time, about time. So as I mentioned um, we earlier, we do have a special special guest joining us and we're pumped to have him here. It's someone that will rival Hammy and Villy in the shoe department, um, no doubt. Um, it's Joe DeFranco. Jo, um, just a quick wrap on Joe DeFranco. He's an OG in the fitness industry. During the past two plus decades, he's done it all as a strength coach. He's worked with athletes from major sporting, from nearly every major sporting team, including players from every single one of the 32 NFL teams, UFC fighters, WWE superstars, and a stack of successful Olympians, just to name a few. His cutting edge training techniques have been featured on ESPN, HBO, NFL and the WWE networks, and in the New York Times best-selling book, The 4-Hour Body, written by the one and only Tim Ferriss. Now, as a gym owner, Joe turned a 500-square-foot storage facility into an athletic performance mecca and a globally recognized brand. His success revolutionized the garage warehouse industry as he proved you don't need a large multi-million dollar gym in order to get world-class results. Franco's Gym, America's 10 best gyms by Men's Health Magazine, one of the coolest gyms in America by Shape Magazine. He's a creator along with Jim Smith of the world-renowned CPPS, called by Muscle Fitness Magazine, the best curriculum for trainers we've ever seen. Joe, welcome, mate. It's an honor to have you here. Thanks for having me, guys. That was uh, quite the intro. I appreciate it. <laughs> I, I, I got to live up to the hype. <laughs> Man, you know what? Like, um, is it all true? <laughs> yeah. If, hey, if you stick around long enough, I, I guess you could you could uh, develop a long intro. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, obviously, we want to rack your brain and get some of your knowledge to us and to our listeners. Um, but before we get in the gritty stuff, um, do you mind giving us? a little bit of an insight into your background, like how you got to where you are and how much hard work you've had to put in to get your brand to the world-renowned brand that it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the short version of my story is I grew up obsessed with football, American football. That was my sport yeah. since as, as soon as I could walk, I had a football in my hand um, loved watching it on TV, couldn't wait to, to start playing. Nice. Uh, and I, I began playing football at seven years old. It was wow. always my dream to play in the NFL um, and excelled at that sport through grade school, through high school, did, did really well, yeah. had a bunch of Division One scholarship offers in high school but then one morning i it literally overnight i went to bed one night i woke up the next morning with just a a severe pain in my back and shooting down my leg and that pain never went away for four and a half years i went to doctors had surgeries um experimental procedures injections like i think i had over a hundred experimental procedures done on my back, uh, seven or eight MRIs, CAT scans, x-rays, like you name it, they, they couldn't find out, figure out what it was. Yeah. And uh, four and a half years after the pain started, they discovered I had a tumor growing inside my sacrum. And that's why it wasn't showing up on a lot of these tests and x-rays and MRIs and stuff. And uh, so four, four and a half years, four back surgeries, a hundred procedures later, they were finally able to remove the tumor, but the damage that was done in the process, plus the, the time that went by, pretty much destroyed my dreams of playing in the NFL. Yeah. So that's when, um, after 
crying myself to sleep for for a couple weeks or months and kind of falling into a bit of a depression and not knowing what I, I wanted to do and feeling like my passion was taken away, uh, I realized that, you know, I had developed a passion for training at, just as, as passionate as I was about playing football. I developed that same level of passion for the weight room and training for football and just realized that hadn't been taken away from me. And instead of feeling sorry for myself, I said, you know what, if I'm not going to be able to play in the NFL, the next be best thing, I was in college at the time, I said, I'm going to continue to study exercise science, I'm going to learn every single thing I can about human anatomy, biomechanics, sports performance, and, and I'm going to apply this and help other athletes achieve yeah. the goals that I couldn't. And uh, wow. the, the rest is history, as they say. I, I got a degree in exercise science, uh, continued to travel all over the country, all over the world, meeting with different strength coaches. I read every book, every article that, that you could get your hands on. Um, got an internship at a sports performance facility worked there for five years from the time I was 21 to 26. And then when I turned 27, I started my own business. And that was the famous storage closet gym, uh, which was a literal storage closet. It was a cl closet in an existing health club. Uh, the uh, gym that I worked out in when I was in college, kind of like my hometown gym, I went to the owner. I asked him if I could clear out the, the back storage closet and, and throw some paint on the walls and uh, pay rent to train people out of that little room. And he thought I was crazy, but he said, hey, that the room's just collecting dust. Like, if you're willing to pay me, uh, you know, for a, a closet, a literal 500 square foot storage closet, I'll make some money off that room. And uh, that's where I started. I started, I started with three high school kids and they got incredible results. They told a few friends, three kids turned into six, then it turned into a couple small groups. And uh, after three years, I had NFL football players in that storage closet, college kids, Olympic athletes, pro baseball players. I ended up growing out of that and then eventually opened up my own real warehouse gym, something that I could call my own, and then expanded over the next, you know, 15 to 16 years. And, and that brings us to today. I'm now in the industry close to 25 years, still, still going at it. <clears throat> So are you just doing like individual programs? Are you doing any group training at all there, Joe? <clears throat> excuse me. Right now, <clears throat> excuse me. Right now, I'm <clears throat> focusing mostly on our certification and I'm spending more time training other trainers. Uh, okay. At this point in my career, I'm 45 years old now. I'm trying to make the biggest impact and reach the most people. And I realize the the best way to do that is working with guys like you and, um, you know, people who own gyms and college yeah. and high school strength coaches, because each time, you know, we could affect one of those coaches, they might have, you know, 50 to 100 to 500 athletes that that they're yeah. dealing with. So uh, we've I've kind of switched my business model a little bit to now I focus more on training trainers and coaches, Education. but I still spend two or three hours a day working with individual clients. I have a few NFL players, a couple MMA fighters. Uh, I'm, I'm still working closely with the WWE, wow. Triple H, Stephanie McMahon, um, and we help run their developmental program for the wrestlers that are aspiring to make it nice. to, to their main roster and, and make it onto the big stage. So I, I, I think I'll always, my true passion is training. I still love training. Yep. I just don't do it 15 hours a day anymore. I do it about two to three hours. Yeah. And the rest of the time, 
is uh, working on our certification and, and online programming yeah. and uh, our DeFranco Insider. We have a membership community, so things of that nature. Yeah. Nice. Uh, your, your story sounds similar to Billy's, actually, about the, the setbacks that you had with, with your sporting when you were younger. So, yeah. um, Oh, what, what did Billy have? Um, so I got, um, so I was playing um, semi-professional footy, so rugby league. Um, and probably two years ago, the same time now, I um, got told to stop playing. So that was due to um, some genetic heart condition that I have, uh, which is cardiomyopathy. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. so they got, I got hit with that, so that kind of was a setback for me. But at the same time, um, similar to your story, is um, had to make something out of it. Um, and I got my head in the door early in the fitness industry so um, and that's where I am now so I'm kind of putting everything towards it um, into that fitness industry and hopefully um, impact some other trainers as well um, to all professional athletes to always have a plan B um, rather than always yeah. um, having that, that is um, I think that's the moral of the story yeah. <laughs> it's I, I talk a lot in business I haven't um, when when I dove into the storage closet and started training athletes, I did not have a plan B. It, I I just had it in my mindset that I was not going to fail and I would I would die trying if if I I would do anything and everything to make it work. But I feel like it's different in pro sports. It is so because even if you make it, like I've worked I've worked with hundreds of pro athletes, the 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 men and women who you would say, quote unquote, made it. Yeah. But even them, the, like in the NFL, even if you make it, the average career is only yeah. two and a half to three years. Yeah, so wow. you're gonna have to do something yeah. when your career is over. It, it is, it's not the be all end all. Like yeah. you have to be the 1% of the 1% that makes it to the pro professional sports level and then make a living out of that to where you never have to work again yeah. a day in your life i mean that's like a one in a billion type yeah. of thing so i think it's a little different when it comes to sport yet you need a plan b business uh you know i can't say i it's probably good to have a plan b but i i didn't have one if i wasn't doing this i always joke and say i know a lot about a little i don't know anything about any other industry. I'm like super <laughs> tunnel vision <laughs> focused. I know a lot about a very little bit uh, in in the my niche in the fit, fitness industry. Otherwise, don't ask me to do anything else. I think that's why you got the reputation you do, by Joe. Yeah. So, um, hat off to you, mate. I appreciate that. We don't even we don't even pump our own gas in New Jersey. We have we have people doing that for us. Really? They don't trust us to put our own gas in our car. Man, you wouldn't want to pump gas at the moment. Wouldn't it be freezing cold over there? Wouldn't it be in the middle of winter? Uh, yeah, no. Like right now, I'm even I'm in my house in my basement, and it's uh, I mean we 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 have an unfinished basement in my house, so there's no heat down here right now. We're in the process of putting a home gym in and uh it, it's about 35 degrees in here right now um uh it's it's cold so yeah i don't want to be outside pumping my own gas either <laughs> um joe we just just had a couple of like quick questions to ask you mate that was okay yeah. and i suppose for myself i must i remember like reading some of your emails like dead said it must have been 15, 15 years ago, I remember reading yep. some of your emails and stuff like that, and then obviously we've followed you online and stuff as well. So I suppose my question was, is we've created, we've got a headquarters here with one of the gyms, and then we've also got a second one, which is probably about maybe uh, 15, or say 25 kilometers away from here, but we're really trying to develop a brand and a, and a method, and I think you've done that amazingly well, but my question was, do you think it's important to develop and promote our methods based around performance for strong brand recognition online and so on? So, like our four pillars of health are training, nutrition, recovery, and mindset. And um, 
was just wondering, like, do you think it's something we should like really promote and have strong methods and guidelines based around those four principles? Uh, yeah, I mean, though, to me, those they're they're tried and true. You you can't argue those four things. Um, but when it comes to so that that I wouldn't change. I, I think you're you're on the right track, and and that's amazing. We we need more good information online. There there's certainly no shortage of information, but the the good information is is what we are severely lacking. So um, I I love hearing that those principles and those topics. Uh, I think to st the the key though is. I've seen so many, I, 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 every day I talk to brilliant strength coaches and personal trainers that nobody knows online because there's so much other noise with all these, you know, social media influencers yeah. who are spending all this money in marketing and they, they're mm. posting three, four times a day, like they're occupying everybody's attention so yeah. that the good information is, is kind of getting lost in the shuffle. So I think it's important to not only put out amazing information and, and truthful, helpful information, but I found, you know, very early that I started like my newsletter back in 2002. And back then it was way easier to get recognized because not as many people we're doing those type of things. But I think what helped me was I was extremely consistent. Like I did not go a week without posting information, yeah. without getting in people's faces. Like if you say you remember some of those emails, they came out every single Friday yes. like clockwork. I think it was a good six or seven years straight that I did not miss. Uh, I used to call it the Ask Joe q and I didn't miss an Ask Joe for six or seven years. Like you knew Friday morning, you check your email. For you guys, it might've been Saturday or Saturday, <laughs> but there was a steady day that you knew you were getting information from yeah. Joe DeFranco. And I think today that's even more important. Like you can't just, you can't post something online once every 10 days, once a month. Yeah. Like. You need to be in people's face posting consistently. And then that information needs to be quality, helpful information. Every time I put a piece of content out, I always think, what is this doing for the reader? Yeah. Like, how is it helping them? I think too many people in our industry, they just try to stroke their own ego. Yeah. and. You know, they want to brag and say, oh, look at this pro athlete I trained or, you know, here's a picture of me without my shirt on. Look yeah. at my six pack abs. And that's all well and good every now and then. But if you want to develop a, you know, we talk about like raving fans, like people who really know, like and trust you and, and are going to go to you for information and buy products from you and hire you. Like you need to get them to know, like, and trust you. And you do that by consistently putting out kick-ass, helpful information. Yeah. And if you, if you have any unique aspects of your business, that certainly helps. Like even my story, while it sucked going through it. And like I said, I was, I fell into a depression for, you know, for almost a year. Um, but that, a lot of people, my story resonates with them because there's a lot of people who have had their dream, Definitely. you know, yeah. taken away. Like Billy just said, hey, I had a similar situation. Like I, I had this condition and I couldn't do what I loved anymore. So I started in this industry. So when you probably heard my story, that, that kind of helped me stand out to you. Yeah. So if you have anything unique about your story, make sure you're telling that as well because anything uh unique about yourself and your business your team that that's gonna that's gonna help because there's a lot of noise yeah, out there in, uh, in social yeah. media yeah there are so like and as business owners and as even just as coaches or managers there's so many hats that you wear in the gym like you're not yep. just 
you're not just a coach, you're a psychologist sometimes with people, you know, you're a counsellor, you need to do the marketing, you're a cleaner, there's so many things to it. <clears throat> who taught you, Joe? Like, who, who does your marketing and your, your editing, even of your Instagram stuff? I see some, you know, clever little uh, tactics that you use on Instagram. Well, you know, it's funny. I, my Instagram stuff, I actually do myself. Like, yeah. my, in the beginning, and I think this is uh, most people, unless you just happen to you know come from if you grew up with money like i wasn't someone who grew up with a ton of money i, I mean we certainly weren't poor but I, I grew up in a very middle class family i had a lot of support but it it, it wasn't like you know hey dad i want to open up a gym can i have a hundred thousand dollars or yeah. you know two hundred thousand dollars like i started with nothing that's why i started in a storage closet with only three pieces of equipment. I didn't, I didn't have those resources. So for me, it was always, everything was learning on the job. Like I was taking out the garbage, training people all day, like you said, of being a psychiatrist to, to more clients than, than I probably was a trainer to yeah. during those early years. And then realizing you do need to market your business. So coming up with t-shirt designs and uh, you know, putting out an e an email newsletter. Like I did everything yeah. myself in the beginning. Then, as you grow and you're and you get a little more success, that's where it's important to hire people and find people that are just as passionate about you. Like I think we're all we're all coaches at heart. Yeah. Do we have to do a little marketing on the side? Do we have to? do a little of this, do a little of that. Yes. But you, you, if you're going to, if you can't spread yourself thin and be doing 20 different things a day, as I've gotten older, I've learned do what you do best. And for me, that's training, coaching, doing calls like this. Um, while I do do my own Instagram, um, like the marketing of things, we hire other people yeah. for yeah. that or, I, I still am around a lot of high school and college kids and they are much more uh, tech savvy than yeah. I am. So any any question I have with this <laughs> this iPhone, I'll, I'll reach out to yeah. the younger kids and say, hey, how do I how do you make an Instagram video? Like I didn't know how to do any of that yeah. in the beginning. So I would always I always start with within. I, I've trained enough people where within my clientele, there's usually someone who knows more about marketing than me, someone, you know, who knows more about psychology than me, <laughs> someone who knows more about nutrition than me and and you build from yeah, there. Definitely. But in the beginning you you have to do it all yourself. Yep. And then it's the have enough success and you are going to have to grind. It is not a 9 to 5 job as I'm sure you guys know. Uh like it's it's approaching midnight here for me. And I'm not saying that for anyone to like feel sorry for me. I'm saying it because I enjoy doing stuff like this. And even at 45 years old, I still wake up about six in the morning and almost every waking hour, I'm doing something work related, whether I'm training athletes, writing programs, doing my own podcast, someone else's podcast, traveling to clients' houses, like, I'm I'm still putting in 12, 15 hour days yeah. on the regular, and I wouldn't be able to do that if I didn't love what I do. So I, I know I totally got off on a tangent, but the I think the important message is don't get into this industry unless you love it, because there's not as much money as you think, and the hours are way longer than you think. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So Joe, you've been around for like over 25 years and in like 25 years no doubt like the strength and conditioning type of facility that you have has been around for 25 years and will be around for another 100 or more years because you can't really duplicate what you do or, or go away from it and expect uh, fantastic results so I know like there are have been trends that come through the fitness industry and one that I've seen lately is um, group training facilities um, that are doing HIT and kind of strength um, or interval weight kind of training um, that are now doing it in, in altitude. 
Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with or you got much knowledge around altitude training, but I just want to get your thoughts on that for the general public and for doing it um, consistently and on a regular basis. Well, I have had a lot of uh, MMA fighters who do travel yeah. so they are able to train in altitude in there. I, I, I'm certainly, I wouldn't consider myself an expert in that. Uh, in that aspect of our field, but I will, I do know that it does, it does work and you will get in better shape and it is helpful. Like all you have to do, everyone I've ever known, like around in our country, you go to Big Colorado for yeah. the first time and people say, man, I took a walk and I was, I was like sucking yes. wind that yeah. I, I can't believe how bad I felt. But once I was there for a few days or a few weeks, I felt so much better. That would make sense than training under those type of conditions, your body would adapt and that could be beneficial. Now, I always looked at it this way. Is that beneficial and has, is there, there's a reason why so many athletes choose to train that way and, yeah. and have succeeded, but like every other kind of trend it's it's certainly not necessary like i'm i truly believe you could get just as good of results if not better yeah training anywhere you know i because there's you could look at it um while it is is generally speaking you would say it's harder it's more taxing on your body and that's why it is helpful i know like i was for a period of time, I had guys coming into my gym wearing like these, training these different training masks and trying to duplicate that. And why I was against it uh, in the beginning. And now I, I talk to guys like Brian McKenzie who, who convinced me that there are some benefits just as far as like resisted breathing and, and um, different breathing drills you could do with those masks on that can be very beneficial. But what I saw was these guys would wear these masks to the gym and they wouldn't even be able to get through five minutes of the warm up. And yeah. these are guys that would normally go through a 15, 20 minute dynamic warm up, you know, kick ass through the workout. And I just saw like some guys relying on the mask, like they were showing up to my gym later in the off season because they thought they could put this mask on and get in better results. shape faster yeah and that did not happen all it did was they weren't able to do as much work because they had this yeah. device on that was hindering their ability to breathe so now they started training with me later they got less work done and that's when i quickly like shut that down and said no more showing up you know a month later than usual because you think this mask is going to be a magic like gimmick uh you know the this this magic tool like most things you still have to put the freaking work in so yeah, sure. can it be beneficial absolutely but it is not the be all end all yeah. my my quick advice on this podcast and i know this could be a topic you know that you could bring on experts and talk all day on it but just a, a quick takeaway would be don't think you can rely on these types of devices or I'm just going to fly someplace and train an altitude for a week and, you know, it's magic. I'm going to be in the best shape of my life. Yeah. You still got to put the work in and it still takes time. So if they're not, if, sorry, John. So if they're not pushing as hard, um, if you're doing weights and you're trying to, you know, work hypertrophy or get stronger, you're not obviously going to be able to push as hard with that and you're probably not going to yeah. get the benefits, true? So, and that, that's what I saw. Yeah. And if you have time, again, it's, you know, it's basically like resisted breathing is, is how I think of it. And if you had the time and then you built up to the ability to be able to go through a full workout and yeah. handle the weights that you were previously handling and train at a pace that you could previously train at without the mask or, you know, when you weren't in altitude, then that, that could be very beneficial. But I, and this is one of those things, I talk a lot about theory versus real world, what yeah. happens, and, and you guys know this, like 
if, if you work in a university setting or you have your own gym and you're working with real athletes, you see what they do and how they interpret things. So you, there, you could read an article that is 100% convincing on these training masks work and you'll get in better shape and all this stuff. But the reality is what I saw was a big trend of what I just spoke about. I had NFL guys showing up instead of coming to my gym in like February or March, they were showing up in June with a freaking gas mask on thinking like, oh, this is the magic tool. I could, I could train for a month leading up until training camp as opposed to three or four and I'm going to get in just as good a shape. And it did, it actually backfired on them because like I said, they were able to do less and we only had a month. So that's when I I shut that down in my gym real quick. And I said, no more relying on any kind of gimmick, any, any time of uh, any type of outside device, like it's hard, consistent work. Just like I talked about, with putting content online, the underlying theme is usually nothing beats hard, consistent, smart work. Yeah, definitely. And that's what we, we, we spoke about it quite a few times, John. We, we're thinking that like, if we stick to the, the tried and true scientifically proven methods of progressive overload, like our periodization, and then training, nutrition, recovery, and mindset, they're, they're bang for your buck principles that everyone can take on board and get more benefit from than altitude training or wearing a mask. Exactly. The, the training, nutrition, recovery mindset, we could have this conversation a hundred years from now. Yes. And I promise you, nobody's arguing any of those things. Whereas the training mask, there'll be a thousand studies for it and a thousand studies against it. You know, at that point, you'll have you know, it, it polarizing topic. You'll have debates on either side, yeah. but training, nutrition, recovery mindset. I don't think anybody's arguing that ever. And yeah. that's why I love that type of stuff. Like show me the things that, that were around 50 years ago, a hundred years ago, and are going to be around for a hundred years. Yeah. Those are the big rocks you want to focus on. I think way too many people and even in each one of those four individual categories that's a big problem in our industry everyone i call it majoring in the minor like people will find this one little thing and then they want to focus on that like with nutrition everybody's looking for the magic supplement oh does this fat burner work um what do you think about intermittent fasting? What do you think about time restricted eating? Should well, I watch game is changes? It bad if I eat <laughs> like those things? Yeah. yeah, we can have a conversation about that. But I rather you spend ninety nine percent of your time focusing on the big rocks. Like if more people just stayed hydrated and they spent more more of their focus on hydration, eat more fruits and vegetables, eat lean meat. You're like. Fulfill your protein requirements, eat more, eat more fruits and vegetables, make sure you're well hydrated. Like those are the big rocks you should be focusing on, not whether it's bad to eat after eight o'clock PM. Like that's in the grand scheme of things, (laughs) that's so, so minute. Like if you have the the other stuff taken care of, what the, the, the time restricted eating and all, that that stuff doesn't matter. That that's point zero one percent of the equation. Yeah, because obviously you see, like you can relate that to like people watching the game changes or doing carnivore diet seems to be a bit of a trend at the moment. You know, so a hundred percent, just eating clean and doing the right thing and eating, you know, the right portion sizes is going to get you the right results instead of trying to find something, some magic pill that you keep talking about. Yeah, it's inspiring exactly. to see you too, Joe. Like, I mean, for like I said, the amount of time that I've read your emails and then watched you online, like you've you've stuck to those principles the whole way through. Like you haven't you haven't gone off track and gone off with some tangent with something else. You've always stayed true to those methods, you know what I mean? Which is, I remember your emails actually. They were pretty they were pretty hard ass back in the day, man. Like. A couple of clients that were on your um on your email list, I'm like, did you read Joe's email today? And it was like, like 
fucking get the work done, no excuses. Fucking, like you're one of the first guys to really sort of meathead get that across the line. Like just <laughs> you know that hard ass. Yeah, I try. And I, I definitely like. I don't want to say I softened up, but I, that might have been a little bit. That might have been a little bit of my way of trying to catch people's attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it wasn't. It was awesome. It wasn't an act either. Like it, that's something I'm very proud of. It, if I go back and read an email of mine from 2002 yeah. or 2003, I didn't put much information out there that I wouldn't agree with today. Like, and I think that's why. Wow. Um, I've been around as long as, as I have and, and have been able to make a living in this industry and, and provide for my family now for, well, for myself for the, the last 25 years, my family the last 10. But it's also why I'm, I'm, I don't have millions and millions of followers because none, nothing that I say or do is that extreme. You know, because I, I stick with the stuff that's tried and true and work so yes i have an amazing like core following or audience whatever you want to call it but because i i don't you know sell people any kind of magic pill or i don't do any bullshit like crazy over the top marketing and like overhype any of my products or programs i don't i don't have five ten million followers like a lot of people out there that have a, a, a 16th of my experience and, and knowledge and results, but they have bigger followings because they spent a lot of money in ex this like extreme marketing and, and all this, you know, uh, like the, the clickbait type yeah. titles on their YouTube videos. I just never got into that. I, I always genuinely just wanted to help people. Like I, I know it doesn't sound sexy or I've been saying the same shit for 25 years, but I genuinely love training and helping people and sharing information. And I feel like I would be doing a disservice if I just tried to come up with some wild, crazy idea just to be different and catch people's attention. Yeah. Instead, I just put out helpful information and, and that is, that's, kept me a very very loyal audience for many many years but you also don't get to you know 10 million followers that way either so but i'll i'll take it i'll take you know what they say uh, like a thousand raving fans who know like and truly trust you as opposed to you know some of these these chicks on instagram they got 10 million followers, but it's a bunch of guys looking at their ass. I don't really need that. In, in uh, Russia, from Russia. And you spent it. Yeah. Um, We're, 100%. Hey, there, there's, I get, there's a time and a place for everything, but uh, that's not my gig. I'm feeling you, mate. Um, mate, also, like, over the last five, say, five or six years in Australia, particularly, or uh, I know of Australia, um, we've seen a big shift in women's sport. So there's a lot more soccer, um, a lot more rugby union and rugby league being played by women. They've also now got um, a professional rugby rugby league competition that's being aired, um, which, is, which is fantastic in my opinion. Now, a lot of women, and even this is probably for the guys as well, um, would you say like the, the women's strength program leading into their pre-season, because we're coming into pre-season now, should be different to a guy's or, or a man's program? There's a few minor things I think you look at, but again, if we're, if we're looking at the big rocks, I think it's very similar. Like for the if male or female athlete or client, you still need to do the 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 foundation the core of your program should be those six or seven foundational you know fundamental movement patterns like whether you're a man or a woman you should be incorporating some type of a squat some type of a hinge some type of a lunge an upper body push an upper body pull we always do some kind of sled dragging or loaded carries like that's with everyone male or female when 
the one thing we we really maybe spend a little extra attention on with females are um, you know we, you see a lot more non-contact ACL injuries, a lot more knee injuries with female athletes just because of their the Q hips. angle, yeah. the the angle from their hips to their knees. Women obviously. Uh, are able to give birth. Men are not. They they got that one on us. <laughs> so structurally, they are. Most of them are going to be different, and yeah. and that is uh, why you see a lot of these these ACL injuries. So we pay a little bit more attention to that, but it's still like, what do we do for that? You're you want to make sure you're developing the glutes and the hips and the hamstrings and yeah. focusing on eccentric and isometric strength before we just start, you know, throwing them into a plyometric program and have them doing all kinds of sprints and jumps. It's build the foundation of strength with slow eccentric focused movement patterns, develop that strength, stability, control, then you layer on top of that some jumps and sprints and explosive uh, work, but but for the most part, I would say 95% of the programming looks th the same, with a couple minor tweaks or just emphasis on certain areas that we see women are a little more uh, susceptible to injury than men, and and uh, generally speaking, also like upper body wise, uh, most females won't have as much muscle mass in their upper body, lower body. They're, they're usually more developed, but upper body, like I've, I've seen women respond a little bit better to higher reps yeah. and I, not ultra high. I still think they should focus on strength because most females still, they, they train too much and I hate to just stereotype, but it's just what I've seen over 25 years. It's gotten a little bit better, but they, they train more for the feeling than the result. Like women, and to their credit, like to work hard. At least if you, if you told me like, or asked me, generally speaking, do female athletes work harder than male athletes? I would probably say yes, uh, not to piss the guys off, but the females that come into our gym, yeah. like they work, like they want to get after it, but sometimes to a fault because they want, they think they need that feeling of, I'm about to throw up, I'm, I'm sweating, I'm tired, I'm, I, I need to train and, and feel the burn. And there's a time and a place for that stuff, but most females need to focus more on strength work. So it's not about the burn. In fact, you know, that, that's, that wouldn't be a goal at all of your training. If you're looking for strength and power, um, you're not really training in that energy system. We're, we're more lower reps. And yeah. like I said, heavier weights and control. I, I think more women would benefit from training that way and using their results as an indicator, not just how tired they were yeah. at the end of the workout. Yeah, 100%. Do you, do you take into consideration like their menstrual cycle and everything as well when you're designing the program? Yes, yeah. I was go. I, I meant to say that when we talked yeah. when I mentioned the non-contact yeah. um, ACL injuries during that time of the month, you know, their, their joints, their tendons, ligaments are more lax. Yeah. So you want to be mindful of that. And I know sometimes that's a little bit of a uh, some younger trainers yeah. might not feel comfortable yeah. you know you just met somebody and you're having this conversation but if you are a professional and you you do this long enough you realize that does make a difference and a lot of those non-contact ACL injuries we see are are happening at that time because their their joints just aren't as stable so programming wise you need to know that. And that's why I, you might've heard me, I use the expression a lot for, for many different things. I say, write your programs in pencil, not pen. And this would be a perfect example. Yeah. If we have, you know, I don't know, depth jumps on the workout today, an intense plyo workout, 
but it happens to fall during their menstrual cycle, you might want to call an audible and maybe switch to more, you know, controlled strength training yeah. on that day or days and then pick up the explosive stuff the following week. Uh, so little tweaks like that are things that you should be mindful of. Yes, because that is a factor that matters. Um, Joe, just had a quick question about your, your general programming oversight, you know, like uh, a year-long period. Would you, do you generally start with a, a base for poetry first and then build off that? No, I would say, and I don't really have a, a I, we really base our programs, uh, now that I'm, I'm dealing with less athletes, it's way less volume, so I really could treat each athlete as an individual. I'm doing more one-on-one, two-on-one training. Um, So I, every time I get a new client, we do a full assessment, go over their goals. I see what their starting point is. We we, um, go over the calendar, the timeline, how much time do I have for them to achieve that goal? And then the program is based on that I don't have a set program that you know you join my gym and you're you jump into that program. Uh, so everything's based on the individual, their goals, their starting point, and and the time frame that we have. But with that being said, if if you if I did have a style or a, um, a program that I I find myself gravitating towards because I feel it produces the best results. It's more of a conjugate approach where we are training multiple different qualities throughout the year. So it's not just a hypertrophy phase. We're pretty much training some type of strength, hypertrophy, power, speed year round. But the way we do it is each phase would have an emphasis so yes if i like with my nfl football players if i get them right at the end of the season they take a week or two off and now they come back to me very early stages of the off season yet i still consider that my programming style a conjugate approach because it's not a true block like linear periodization model i'm i'm gonna have them performing some strength work, some hypertrophy. There might be some box jumps or low level jumps or plyos in the workout. But I I would emphasize slower controlled hypertrophy type movements with a little bit of strength sprinkled in and maybe some power speed stuff sprinkled in the warm up, just as like a a CNS activation to to fire up the, the nervous system before they start training. And then after a month or two, we will keep the hypertrophy in there, but that might now become more maintenance and the strength will uh, be a priority. And we'll try to develop strength while maintaining muscle. And then the strength, you know, will go to more of a maintenance type dosage and power and speed will become the main course so to speak. So we're training multiple qualities all year long, but there's an emphasis on just one or two of those qualities yeah, with sure. with That's each awesome. of those little mini cycles we yeah. put together. That's fantastic. Joe, yeah. um, before we go, is there like one piece of advice that you could leave us or our members or our listeners? If there was one piece of advice, what would it be, mate? Stay, stay be you, uh, I would say. Don't don't try to emulate. I shouldn't, you could, listen, I've been influenced by a ton of people and I there's nothing wrong with that, but there's a fine line with maybe someone listening and saying, hey, man, I, I love the Franco stuff. I've learned a lot from him. You know, I, I modeled my gym after his. Like, that's great. That makes me feel very good. I'm, I'm super proud to be able to help people out and share information and maybe help fast track your success. Maybe you don't have to make all the mistakes that I made, but still be you, like be yourself. Don't try to completely copy 
any other person. And in fact, if whatever unique traits that you have that separate you from me or, you know, from you guys, I would highlight the crap out of that. Like whatever little difference you have, whatever unique attributes you have, highlight the hell out of that and and you will go far it's what i and i say that because it's way this this industry it's hard enough to make it in we talked about the hours are way longer the the pay isn't as good as anyone thinks if you're trying to be someone else all the time if you're trying to act like joe defranco it's going to be freaking exhausting because that's not your personality I could work 15 hours a day and, and I, it's going on midnight here and I'm, I love doing this. I'm ready to do another podcast because I'm just being myself. Like, this yeah. is what I love to do. I'm me. If you try to act like someone else, that, that's exhausting and that'll wear on you and, and eventually you'll be exposed. So be 100% authentic <laughs> at all times. Yeah. Be yourself. Highlight your unique traits and uh, just live your passion. And uh, life is way more enjoyable and you will be way more successful that way. 100%, mate. Well said, Joe. Well said, well, mate. um, On on behalf of the boys and everyone, it's been a pleasure, Joe. You're not just a great influence to us, but um, very humble and um, it's a dead set pleasure having you on, mate. You're You're a true gentleman. Um, I appreciate that, guys, much, and uh, appreciate you uh, bearing with me with the, the time mix-up. I, <laughs> like I, I told you in the beginning, I know a lot about a little, and Australian time zones is one of the uh, things I do not know about, clearly. Easy, so man. I'm glad we got this in. Thank you very Thanks, much, Joe. Thanks, Thanks, mate. Nice talking to you, man. Thank you. We'll see you soon. Thanks, guys. So, guys, if, anyone, if anyone does want to follow Joe, it's the Franco's Gym on Instagram, is that right? Yes, DeFranco's <laughs> Gym on Instagram, and uh, you could all, DeFranco'sGym.com would also bring you to, to my website, and uh, you could see links to our certification, uh, my podcast, all social media, you, you can find everything there. Perfect, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Merry Thanks, Christmas. Guys. Appreciate <laughs> it. Appreciate it. <laughs>